Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The first sponsorship on Warden's Watch is Trail Runner Wireless Internet, available in Coas County and Washington County, Maine. High-speed internet for rural areas. And they're the company I work for, other than podcasting, so, and I, I thank you for their, your support. Uh, this is high-speed internet r- rural areas, making my podcast happen and making businesses happen in remote places, as well as bringing technology to you folks when you live out in the country. Please go to MyTrailRunner.com and like the page on Facebook as well. That would help them a lot and help me to continue Warden's Watch. <coughs> GuideFitter.com. GuideFitter, bridging you to the outdoors while providing a quality platform for guides and outfitters for you to select from. GuideFitter is the best place to get discounts on gear if you're an outdoor professional. As a game warden, I'm a member of the Outdoor Government Program, which has over 80 quality brands to get discounts from. It's free to join. Yes, free to join. And all you need to do is prove that you're an active outdoor government employee. There are all kinds of products available. Apparel, boots, archery equipment, optics, backpacks, cameras, watches, ammo, anything, you name it. And while you're there, check out the articles, information, and stories that you'll be inspired from. So before you head out to work in the outdoors or start your next outdoor adventure, check out GuideFitter.com and get discounts on your everyday or every so often outdoor equipment. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders for GuideFitter. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those 
who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Hey, welcome back to Warden's Watch, Episode 2, The Best Day in the Best Cases. This is your host, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and it's a real treat for me to share this probably 24-hour period of my life as a game warden because it meant so much to me to have uh, an investigation and then roll right into an action-packed live night hunting case. It's really a joy to share it to you when we sit around and tell stories. Uh, this one always comes up. It seems to be a favorite among my family and my friends and my colleagues. So I always enjoy it, especially when you know the players. Uh, I hope you kind of get to feel for the players because each one of the game wardens has players like this out there. So sit back and enjoy, and thank you. When I do these interviews, one of the questions I always want to go back to, and it won't be for every case, but I want to know the, the greatest cases the game warden's done. Now, understand that, you know, the younger you are, the less cases you have. It's just a fact. The more time you have on, the better cases you have, the more experience you have to make those cases. So, but even to a young guy, sometimes young guys get thrown into cases um, that are great. As a trainee, I made my first... Uh, night hunting case, which to a game warden, I think, depending the game warden where you are, a night hunting case is a, a very high level case for us. It's important for us to uh, take these poachers out of circulation that hunt at night, that cheat, that use night as their advantage because um, the animals are so much more vulnerable at night and can be harvested so much easily, especially the bigger ones. So that's uh, the highlights of a game warden's case is a night hunting case. And, you know, certainly I made my share of night hunting cases over the years. And I kind of take credit for if I was involved with them, if I set them up as night hunting cases, um, that type of thing. So my, my first night hunting case, and we're going to talk about this uh, later when I interview my, uh, my friend, my advisor, my inspiration to be a game warden, uh, Sergeant Robert Bryant, who ended up retiring as a lieutenant uh, chief of uh, District 2. So, um, but I knew him for a very, very, very long time as a sergeant. Uh, so I worked with him as a sergeant. And it was one of my pleasures uh, when I became a game warden was to actually work in uniform as a trainee with Sergeant Bryant. That was awesome. Your mentor that you've been working with since I was 15 years old, learning from, taking advice from, I actually got to work with. So that was that was great. And not only did I get to work with him, but I got to get my first night hunting case with Sergeant Bryant, which was uh, a lot of twists and turns to that one. Had a lot of investigation, a lot of information that was askewed, and a lot of luck basically to make that case. Yeah, I'll say my first case was an awesome, awesome case. Was it my greatest case? Um, boy, they all rank really close to that because night hunting, like I said, for a game warden to take one of these people out of circulation that's cheating, using the cover of darkness, the vulnerability of animals 
at night is uh, it's pretty uh, priceless to a warden. And they take a lot of pride in that. And the ones I've talked to so far, the interviews I've done, when you hit night hunting cases, that's that's um, important to them. You know, when I interviewed Colonel Kevin Jordan, who I worked with for a long time, night hunting cases uh, were, were the cases that he focused on. Uh, and not only did he make night hunting cases live and in person, but he also made them through investigation, which was uh, pretty dang important to... Uh, to us to develop a night hunting case based on investigation and bring that to conclusion. That's a great talent to do something like that. That's a, that's a skilled investigator or a lucky investigator. I think we all start, we all need a little luck in these cases, you know, that, that, that's for sure. Um, but I will say investigations, um, even the in-person ones, uh, the reason that we were so successful is they were based on information, at least mine. Um, and even I, I think uh, everyone that we go to and when we talk about it is going to be based on information, uh, whether it's information you got yourself just by seeing uh, tracks in a field uh, that look like uh, night hunting activity, whether they were pulling in to check to see if there was any deer there. That's information that you've gathered yourself. So if you set up a decoy or try to do surveillance on that field during the nighttime, um, that's information you developed yourself. And other information is information that we get from, uh, you know, people or our Operation Game Thieves, which are so, so important to any wildlife law enforcement, if you ask me, because it gives sportsmen an avenue to report um, violations, suspicions, um, and that type of thing. Because uh, without that, they have to pick up the phone and call the local game warden. They may not know the local game warden. His number may be published. They may not feel comfortable. Uh, Operation Game Thieves are anonymous, which is a huge avenue and a huge asset to game wardens. Um, when, uh, if we go back to, if you guys listen to uh, Doug Grilinski, Sergeant Doug Grilinski, Lieutenant Grilinski, his greatest case came out of a phone call to his house. That was way, the way that uh, that person was able to relay the information. They didn't use the Operation Game Thief uh, hotline. Why? Did they have access to it or not? It's been around since 1988, so they probably had access to it. But Doug's number was also in the book, and a lot of people knew it. So that phone got picked up and called in. Uh, so information is, is huge. So the, and when I became a game warden, uh, back in 1995, I was uh, assigned in 96 cause I trained for a year. My Lieutenant Eric Stoll was big on me visiting people, big on me, uh, being interactive with the community. And I was fairly young. I was 26 years old. Um, and I was full of it. I wanted to go out and catch bad guys. You know, that's what game wardens do. We catch poachers. So, and I, I think you, you heard this on my first introduction, but, uh, you know, Eric wanted me to go visit with people. He wanted me to have a cup of coffee here and a cup of coffee there. And, and I kept thinking, you know, well, I can't waste my time. And I'm a social guy. I'm very social. That's, that's why I'm doing a podcast. I'm social. I like talking. I like talking to people. I enjoy people. But nope, I was focused on catching bad guys, but I wanted to make my lieutenant happy too. So... I went and did what he said. I made friends with the local farmers, friends with the local grocer, friends in areas, you know, just sitting down, talking with them and chatting, handing out my phone number. And probably one of my 
best cases ever on my best night ever came from a report of a gunshot. And we had other plans that night. We had other plans. Uh, my, my Lieutenant Eric Stoll and my Sergeant Marty Garabian, we had plans to go out and work night hunters, but we had a decoy and everything. We were going to set it up. And this, time, this, this call came in untimely because um, I was getting ready to leave to go out and work. And so I called my lieutenant and told him, and he was like, you know, look into it tomorrow. It's probably this, it's probably that. And I said to him, I said, I really can't do that, lieutenant, because, you know, someone put their faith in me to pick up that phone and to make that call. Now, whether it's to the game warden or whether it's to Operation Game Thief, they made that effort. It's our now our job as game wardens to make that effort to investigate this. You know, that's, that's my feeling. I think that's uh, most responsible game wardens. You know, it's their feeling. You know, somebody picked up the phone, they made that call. Now I got to investigate it. And that's how I felt. And I said, you know, so he said, okay. He didn't want me to go alone, but he didn't want to really help me either because he wanted me to, to do my own thing. He wanted me to develop into a competent game warden. So he's like, I will sit down at the bottom of the hill and wait for you to clear. I said, okay, that sounds reasonable. So not knowing where the shot really came from, I had a general area and I had a general suspicion too. Because if you're a good game warden, you know the good, the bad, and the ugly. But um, certainly wanted to hear from other people in and around the community, A, if they heard the shot, so they could collaborate it. So now I have information that's backed up by somebody else. So I stopped at a few residents that, you know, I had a relationship as well, uh, knocked on the door and asked if they had heard a shot, and they said no. So I continued on to my way, and I knocked on this one door, and... Uh, Lights were on in the house and everything. The garage lights were on, uh, but the door uh, doors didn't have windows or anything in it. But there was a, a hallway, so to speak, between the garage and the house. And uh, I knocked, and someone stuck their head out of the garage doorway and walked down the hall to me. And he opened the door and greeted me because, again, you know, I, I knew who I was dealing with. He said, hi, Wayne, how are you? I said, good, and you? And he's like, good. He's like, how can I help you? I said, well, I'm up here investigating shots fired. I heard, you know, did you hear any shots? No, no, I didn't hear any shots. Well, the nice thing was when he opened this door, uh, the first thing I smelled, and if any of you are hunters or have been around deer or anything like that, deer have a smell to them. Um, just, uh, it's kind of a must, musky smell type thing, uh, but it has a certain smell. And when he opened that door, I could smell deer which instantly put my suspicions up because how many people do you greet and they smell like deer? Well, a game warden, the guy that's been handling a deer recently, smells like deer. So instantly he opens the door and I already have, uh, you know, an instinct jumps up and my, one of my senses fires off saying, I smell deer. So at that point, you know, I'm on the lookout and I'm, I'm fairly young in this game too. So but I looked down and the and I looked down and he has his hands behind his back, which when you greet somebody at the door, where do you put your hands? You know, is that is that a common thing for you to do when you greet someone at the door? You don't shake their hand or, you know, do you put your hands behind your back? Why, why somebody put their hands behind their back unless they're concealing something? And then I look on his belt is a knife case, an empty knife case. And I, I look, so I smell deer. I can't see his hands and I see an empty knife case. So right there, it's all rolling. Uh, and he says, well, how, how can I help you? I said, well, I'd like to take a look around. Well, he invites me in. Come on in, Wayne. You know, 
The wife's in on the couch there. You know, he walks in, we walk into the kitchen and he goes to the bathroom immediately. And I can hear the sink running and his wife's sitting on the couch and she can't talk. She's a ba 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 We can't hold a normal conversation. I would say she almost had a stroke or something. <laughs> She's sitting there, and we we can't really conversate, which is kind of a kind of a strange thing, you know. Which uh, again, uh, <laughs> you know, raises my suspicion. I, I I know her well too, so when he comes out of the bathroom, now his hands are visible. He's 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 letting me see his hands. Because he was in there scrubbing like crazy, the stuff he didn't want me to see. And I'm sure all of you are guessing now, he must have blood on his hands. And that's, that's exactly what he had. He had blood on his hands and was scrubbing that off. So he says to me, he's like, so um, where do we go from here? And I said, well, I'd like to take a look around, Vern. And uh, he said, uh, well, um, you know, I said, like, you can take a look around. So I said, okay. Um, he goes, where do you want to start looking? I said, I'd like to start looking in your garage. Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't do that. And I said, why? And he said, well, I don't want you to get confused between legal deer and illegal deer. And I kind of chuckled, you know, and I said, that's kind of my job, isn't it? Well, well, I know, but, you know, I just don't want you to get confused. So I didn't push it anymore for there. So did I quit? No, but I didn't push that. You know, because it would have been a consent search. I, he would have had to give me access to that. So he's like, uh, is there anything else I can do for you? I said, yeah, can I look outside? He goes, oh, yes, you can look outside. So I said, well, I got to grab my, my flashlight out of my, my cruiser. So we walked together to my cruiser. I opened the door and I pick up my radio as I grab my light. And I radio down to my lieutenant at the bottom of the hill. And I say, hey, um, looks like we're going to need to do a search warrant here. So I'm going to give you some more information. We're going to look out around outside, but, you know, we're going to have to do a search warrant here. And what I did is I let him hear that. He was standing right beside me. So now he knows that he's not fooling anybody. He's not, he's not pulling the wool over my eyes. So um, we're walking around the house, and uh, I got my big mag light, you know, the big long ones, the heavy ones, and it throws quite a bit of light. So, um, and I know he's got a bait pile behind the house. So that's where I'm heading for. So we're walking around the house and uh, I I see the bait pile and I get right in there and I can see a drag mark, a very clear drag mark with my light. Because if if you guys are familiar with drag marks is when you kill an animal, if it's any size to it, you got to drag it. You got to take that and drag it. So, and a deer, a moose, a bear makes, you know, a lot of drag. The turkeys, not so much. A little feathers here and that's about all the evidence you're going to get. Um, depending the size of the animal. So, but I clearly see a, a deer drag mark. So, and I say, you know, hey, look at that. It's a drag mark. And he says, yeah, that's from my son's deer last week. I said, really? He's like, yep. So I see something glistening on the on the grass. So I reach down and I, I touch it and it is blood. I said, hey, look here, this blood. And it's fresh blood. And I look at him. And at this time he throws his arms up. He goes, you got me. You got me. So I said, well, let's open up the garage. So he goes around and he peels open the garage door. And there, hanging there, is a dead doe. And she's scun. So she has no hide on her. She's hanging there, scun. And I can smell the deer now very clearly. So I, I, my lieutenant comes up to, to help me. And now I have a deer. The shot 
matches. Uh, it was after dark, so it's illegal night hunting. It's also the only time you can take a, a doe this time of year is closed. So it's antlered only. So he's, it's actually out of season as well. So several violations there. The night hunting being the, the really important one. And the backdoor method being even more important because out at this bait pile had a motion light. And the motion light, when every time a deer would hit, you know, it would turn on. So he could go out and look at his, the deer or whatever it is there. And now he could shoot it. So we go inside and I want the gun. So above the door is a gun and he reaches up and hands it to me. And I look at this gun. This gun hasn't been off that, that hangers for forever. It's dust covered. And I'm looking at this thing and I look at the trigger and there's dust on the trigger. Now who gives a game warden a gun that is all dusty with a dusty trigger? Well, that's because he doesn't want to lose the gun that he shot the deer with. So he's got to give up a gun. So he gives up this 22 that's been hanging on the wall forever. So I point this out to him. I'm like, uh, I need the gun you shot the deer with. And he says, that is the gun I shot the deer with. And I said, look at all the dust on this gun. Is this the gun? Yes, that's the gun. I said, look at the dust on the trigger. And he's like, that's the gun I shot the deer with. Okay. Okay. I've got a gun. I've got a confession pretty much. So I'm going to take my pound of flesh, I figure at this point and go. Um, I've got all my elements. So I grab the deer, I grab the gun and me and my lieutenant head out. So we get down the road, we stop, um, we get out and we have a conversation. You know, he's pretty happy with this case. You know, he's, he's, he's happy that I made this case. So he's excited. Um, and he's like, now do you want to do what, now what do you want to do? And I'll tell you, this is a test for a new warden. I just made a great night hunting case. Great night hunting case. We're probably done by 10 o'clock. So, and I said, I want to continue what we planned on doing. We planned on going to work a decoy tonight. I want to go work a decoy tonight. And that was a test. I know it was. Eric uh, always tested me. Always wanted to know uh, what I wanted to do and wanted me to say the right answers. Uh, He wanted me to be a very good game warden. So he would have probably directed if I said, I want to go home you know, have a, have a toddy and celebrate this awesome night hunting case. Um, he would have been like, yeah, I think we're gonna go work, uh, the decoy. So, but it was, a, it was one of those questions that your boss asks you that you got to answer the right way. And truth be known, I really wanted to go work. I was, I was, my adrenaline was flowing. This was an awesome case. This was a great investigation and a score. And you know what? We're going to put this night hunter out of commission for hopefully for a while, Unfortunately, it was certainly uh, let people know that uh, what he is and what he's done. So that's that's important as well. So we get down the bottom hill, and I go on to go to night hunt, work night hunters, and my adrenaline's flowing. I've, I'm psyched. So sure enough, we go up, we meet up with uh, Sergeant Garabedian at the time, who ends up being Colonel down the road. Future podcast with the Colonel. Maybe we'll re- redo this uh, this scenario so you get his opinion of it. So, anyways, uh, so I got a place all picked out. And I get some information again. I get some information. Some guys are playing a game. There's a group of guys, young guys, that are playing a game. Who can poach the most deer? Yeah, pretty nice game, huh? You know? Well, it still happens. It still goes on in rural America where hunting is a way of life, where poaching is still a way of life. I hope there's less and less of that, but it's still, it's bred into you. Because your fathers and your grandfathers did it, you do it. That's how you grow up. That's how you learn to do this stuff. 
generally speaking. Some poachers create their own poaching. There's no doubt about that. I, there's no, <laughs> no doubt about that. That generational will, will break and the poacher will still be a poacher or he'll create his own poaching uh, on behalf of himself. So it's not always that way, but uh, you know, certainly a lot of cases around the country, it's generational. So, and it's tied to families and it's time to, tied to their history. So some feel like that's their job to be the poacher. Um, that family's always done it. They got to carry on the family legacy. And it's our job as game wardens to break that chain, to stop that. Um, because if we stop one chain, we stop one family in sequence to, to, to breeding more poachers, then we will be successful in a far greater manner than we are today. So I've got this spot picked out because I have this information and I know several of the people live in this general area. And my lieutenant calls me on it. He says, so you're, you're looking for these guys, aren't you? I said, absolutely. That's who I'm looking for. Am I on their front lawn with a decoy? No, I'm not on their front lawn. But I know the roots in, the roots out, because that's being a good game warden is to know those things. Um, so we set up that, that deer, that fake deer in the field. Uh, in proximity. It's a nice moonlit night. It, you can see very well. Uh, I got a great, great hiding spot for the cruiser that I can almost see the field and I'm parallel to where the deer is, the fake deer, the decoy. Um, and so I'm, uh, I'm waiting there. And uh, for game wardens, uh, when you work a decoy, there's guys on the ground that are in close proximity to the decoy. And there's a guy or two in the cruiser, uh, depending how you set it up. And truth be known, the guy in the cruiser stays warm, but that's not, that's not the place that we want to be. We like being on the ground. We like being where the action is. Uh, generally, the action stops on the ground because of the, the setups that we do and stuff. We're, we're ready for a runner. We're prepared. Uh, but generally, the action is on the ground, and that's where you get to see the, the flash from the muzzle, where you get that big adrenaline jump. It, it's it's un believable the amount of adrenaline that'll throw through a game warden's veins when this goes off or your veins if you were sitting right next to us as you are listening to this story so we're sitting in the woods and sometimes you're camoed up uh nighttime not so much you don't really have to worry um our uniforms are dark enough we want to get the shiny stuff off and we're we're setting ourselves up so hopefully the light's not hitting us so and here comes two o'clock in the morning the rumbling of a vehicle and this road doesn't get a whole lot of traffic so the rumbling of the vehicle, two o'clock in the morning, and just as it passes my location, it goes to the field, a nice sweeping upward field. All they have to do is turn to the right and look, and they're going to see that nice buck standing there. And sure enough, they do. And I see brake lights, and I see them starting to back up. And I, my, your heart stops. Your heart stops, literally, because you are on the edge of your seat, you can barely breathe. My fingers are wrapped around the key. My feet are just off the brake. Unfortunately, this time I touched the brake and I hit those lights. So when you hit the brake, brake lights come on. Guess what? Brake lights came on and it felt like it lit up the world. And I pulled my foot right off so quickly and they didn't see my brake lights. Thank goodness. That was that would have been devastating. But I can't breathe. I'm being really shallow as they pull in the bar gate of the, the barway to the field, and there's that deer, and they're lighting it up with their headlights. 
And this is, I, I can see the headlight shining. I can hear, I can't see the truck very good, but I can see the deer and the headlight shining on it and bang and everything lets loose. The adrenaline dumps because they just did it. They just pulled the trigger. They just night hunted that deer, that decoy, what they believed was a mature buck and a nice buck at that. They pulled the trigger and they night hunted and the adrenaline dumps. It dumps in the guys on the ground. It dumps to me in the truck. And now I step on the brake and I start my truck. I've learned when I hear the shot and we're going to hear, you're going to hear some funny stuff. Uh, I wish I had talked to Lieutenant Grilinski about this story. Um, but, uh, hopefully we're going to do another round with, uh, Lieutenant Grilinski. So, um, I'll, I'll save that story. Um, but I, I do want to tell you a story about that gunshot and, uh, what happens after that gunshot. But this is, this is when I learned, this is very early in my career. And that gunshot means go because the gunshot at night, uh, only means one thing it's night hunting. So I step on it. I come out of there. Uh, Lieutenant Stoll, Sergeant Garabedian are already at the vehicle. They are already there and I am pulling in behind them as they are yarding the guys out of their trucks. So, and guess what? It's the guys I'm looking for. The guys that are playing the game, the guys that are trying to poach as many deer as they can, at least part of that crew, um, is the ones I get, uh, right there. So I considered that my, my night hunting case. As a matter of fact, it was because I did all the paperwork. So that's the beautiful thing about being a sergeant and lieutenant and you work with uh, a, a new guy. He gets all the paperwork. You get up to have all the fun. He gets all the paperwork. So, But at that point in my career, I loved all the paperwork. I enjoyed all the paperwork, especially for a, an illegal night hunting case. Awesome. Uh, the, another awesome part of that uh, is I ended up calling state police. And the driver was arrested for DWI. So he was intoxicated uh, the, from uh, the, the, what, what transpired. According to uh, Sergeant uh, Gary Bedian, Lieutenant Stoll, is they, they shined it. The driver pulls in, shines it. The passenger sits up on the, the window sill of your truck. Um, so he rolls down the window. He sits up there, and he shoots right from there. So nice, broad view of them. And as they get on, they, they, they're in close proximity to the vehicle. They rush into the vehicle, and they're able to take control of those people right away. Uh, instantly can tell that the, the driver is intoxicated. Call for state police. Uh, we get the guns. We get them all arrested, and we're going down to the police department. And there's a Browning BAR is the gun that we end up taking in that night hunting case. So... Um, it was a great, great case, uh, a great, great night for me uh, as a new game warden. That was probably the best night I've ever had in my career. Um, but it's all based on the same thing. One was investigation, an investigation while I was there, and the other one based on some information that I had gathered and then putting two and two together. You know, those, those are what makes the great cases of conservation officers, game wardens, is those types of things. Uh, the smell of the deer. Um, and as you gain in confidence, as you gain in experience, uh, this is all stuff that starts to come easy. Uh, it, when I was towards the end of my career, I, I, I used to cut all the, 
the niceties and things like that because I already know what happened and I'd be go right to the chase and I could generally flip somebody by going to the chase because I didn't want to go down that road anymore that I'd learned to go down so many times to make those cases being the playing the nice guy and then leading them down the road of hey I know this hey I know that hey I know this it's going to be better for you to cooperate with me now than later you know I, I get to the point where I know you did it this is how I know. And, you know, right now, if you want to confess, we can do this this way. If you don't, this is how it's going to go. Always truthful, always uh, backing up everything I said um, to the point of, you know, executing it when they, they called my bluff. So it's, it's important to be like that too. But as you start your career, you start those investigations and you start learning how to investigate. Um, sometimes you think you got it all figured out. And before I leave a, an active investigation, I want to step back and say, Hey, is there anything we missed? Let's look at this a different perspective. Uh, me and conservation officer Glenn Lucas were doing that. We already had this case all figured out and it was towards the end of my career. So I was pretty confident I had figured it out. And I said, you know what, before we leave, let's take a step back. Let's look at this from different angles and see if we've missed anything. I swear I got that out of my mouth. And Glenn Lucas says to me, like that tree stand over there. And I look up there and there in the corner of the field is a tree stand. And how did we miss that tree stand? We already had this formulated on how this guy poached the steer. And how did we miss that tree stand? So now we go throw that tree stand in the mix and now it becomes a legal kill. Um, and then we can track the, the tracks back to where the guy lives locally. And we put two and two together. It's a registered deer. It looks to be an illegal, a, a legal one and not illegal when before I had it all figured out as an illegal deer and we were going down that road. But just by taking a step back and looking at your evidence and trying to make sure you don't miss anything. I mean, there's so much when you actively investigate the case. You know, you want to look at the big picture and then start working into the little things. Um, there's a moose case that was never solved. And uh, I always, uh, always hate that we didn't solve these cases. They still burn in me today. We have a shell casing. I can tell you the proximity where he shot from. 30 odds six shell casing. Moose shot with a 30 odds six. I got a round. Nice big bull. He's been dead for two or three days. Um, I've got a new new officer, Brian Gillis, who now is a, last I knew, was a captain in New York State for the New York DEC doing game warden work in New York. Um, he's new with us, and uh, we got this big, bloated moose. And to get that round out of that moose, <laughs> you got to do an autopsy right there in the woods. And that that's a pretty disgusting thing, depending the time that that moose has been dead. And this one's been dead a while. And I'll never forget this. Uh, Brian starts in on the autopsy and he pierces the body cavity. Not the guts, just the body cavity. The gases and the pressure that had built up blew his hair back, just like a, a, a breeze of 30, 40 miles an hour would have done. Blew his hair right back. And that boy became gagging and not vomiting, but dry heaving um, and, and couldn't go on. Um, you know, some of us are investigators. We have a little Vicks in our, uh, in our evidence kits. You rub a little Vicks under your nose. That's all you can smell is Vicks. That, that helps with those really, really raunchy cases. Or you just get used to it, you know. Some of us just get used to it. 
but that was uh, one of those cases, and we were able to to get that round out of that moose. Uh, so I had a shell casing around, and guess what? No suspect. No suspect. Got part of the information. Got part of the information from somebody hunting through, bird hunting with their dogs, and uh, found this moose. Um, so I got a dead moose. Definitely poached. Definitely out of season. Nice big bull. Shot and left. I need a suspect. I never got a suspect. Never. So to this day, that's unsolved. And frankly, after you know three and a half years with a big game case, it goes away. We can't bring those charges forward. So, but for three and a half years, you know, I really work hard. So actually, it's three years. Um, but I work really hard on those cases. And um, Sergeant Todd Chefchick retired a year before I did. He was probably the best at old cases. He would set these files aside of unsolved cases and he would pull them out right up to the day before. He would start working them months before uh, the cases were going to close and he would work them up to the day before to the point where he actually charged someone uh, three years almost to the day. I believe it was to the day, but I don't want to put words in his mouth of the crime. So uh, talk about tenacity. Talk about a game warden that uh, won't give up. I, I wasn't that good. I, I didn't keep that. I, I gave it all I had when I had, when I had it. And then if other information developed, I would work that other information. But I guess I, 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 I my hat's off to him. My Stetson's off to him, so to speak, uh, that he picked up uh, those cases and reworked those cases and made some of them. You know, the, the cold case files, uh, just unbelievable what these investigators do. Um, Chuck West is a, a detective out of state police that, you know, I worked with my whole career and worked with on some homicides uh, because we do get involved with homicides uh, because sometimes search searches and homicides run hand in hand. Sometimes we do the search. Uh, we've found homicide victims. I was right beside uh, Danny Brooks, who was a game warden, who found a homicide victim, uh, Chaput, over in uh, Mount Washington. Um, and he called over me and said, Wayne, I think I found her. And when I got there... I called Lieutenant Bogardis, and uh, you know that ended up being a homicide. She was uh, stabbed and then the, and burned. So, uh, homicide right there. Game wardens get involved with homicides quite. I want to say quite often, but we're we're a tool of the state police when it comes to that. We search. They know we're fairly good at it, so we help them. Chuck West has always been a great investigator in the North Country. Uh, worked on several. Uh, cases with us as far as uh, using game warden resources to his best advantage. And, uh, you know, I'll get in touch with Chuck and we'll do a podcast with Chuck because uh, we got a lot of stories with Chuck uh, related to those. But uh, uh, Maura Murray is one of those and Chuck's been working on that cold case for a while. So, and uh, those cold cases never, you know, even though they go cold, they don't die unlike big game cases. So, um, but we have a, a, an end to our big game cases, which, you know, I, I, I can't even remember if we ever found out after three years some of these cases, what happened to them. So the trail runs cold, and I can't remember making or actually finding out what happened after three years, except for maybe a run-in with a poacher in a local uh, establishment, and we have a, a nice chat, you know, and he tells me about all the deer that he shot that I didn't catch him on, because that's happened. That's happened, and I hope to have him on my show too. So hopefully he'll, uh, he'll. I, I, I almost hate to, because uh, you know, uh, <laughs> do you ever want to hear about your failings? Do you ever want to hear about the the guy you didn't catch? Well, I didn't catch this guy. 
and he was a pretty avid poacher. But what turned him around was uh, his uh, kids. His uh, son grows up, and he's like, "This this broke the chain of the the legacy of the creating a poacher after a poacher after a poacher because he didn't want his son to be a poacher. He didn't want his son to grow up the way he grew up. So without me intervening, the chain of that heredity chain of poaching was broken by the poacher himself. So that, that's a huge achievement. And I think it's real important that we acknowledge that. So, um, but you know, it's going to kill me to have him, you know, talk about this because I never caught him. And, uh, you know, the reasons I don't caught him, but I'm going to learn from it as well. We've never delved into that and I'm hoping he's willing to delve into this, but, um, I do, I'm just, um, I'm <laughs> wondering how that's going to go. Cause I'm not, I'm not going to like it, but I'm going to learn from it. And, uh, hopefully, uh, even wardens as they listen to this, will learn from it. Um, but, uh, so we want to learn the, the best case scenarios from the wardens, uh, the achievements, the interviews that they've done interesting stuff. I find interesting. I hope you find interesting too, but, uh, the best cases, cause sometimes, uh, what I may think of the best cases you may not, but, um, you know, I remember, uh, Colonel Jordan, 13 night hunting cases. I think he said two or three moose hunting cases all due to interviews. And it goes back to that information thing. Depending how we get that information, the best cases are made on information. So, and that puts us into the realm of our local local area, interacting with local people, knowing the area, knowing where the animals are, knowing where the high poaching areas are. Uh, that's the game warden's job. And that, that's our job. So I hope you enjoyed. Those are two of my highlights. That's my highlight of the my best day as a game warden. Um, three night hunting cases because the driver gets charged with inclusions, which is aiding and assisting, uh, which has the same charges of the, the fine uh, of the charge itself, uh, illegal night hunting. So when somebody aids and assists in the, the crime as well, they're guilty of the crime and is charged with the crime. So the driver and the shooter, illegal night hunting, uh, the driver gets DWI, um, and the other guy, uh, nice investigation, good information. And he gets the, you know, the night hunting charge out the back door, which, uh, it, it, they're very hard to get. They're very hard to get. So out the back doors because in their, they're in their own controlled environment and we have to interject ourselves into that controlled environment in order to catch them. So, that being said, um, that gentleman bought a crossbow a few years later once he got his license back, and I can't imagine why he would buy a crossbow, except you can't hear a crossbow at night. So I may have put a dent in it, but I, I didn't solve the problem. So there's, there's plenty of poachers still out there for the next generation of game warden to deal with. So um, so support your Operation Game Thieves. Uh, really important, whether you support it in information, support it financially. And then International Wildlife Crime Stoppers helps support all the Operation Game Thieves in the country as well as internationally. So those are so such important organizations that I, I can't I can't stress enough. So um, to give avenues to get information to the wardens to do their job because we're only one set of eyes, one set of ears, and without good sportsmen, without good wildlife watchers, without good citizens, we, we, we can't do this job. We can't. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a collaboration of protecting your resources with us being the heavy, with us being the enforcement thing. So, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, enforcement is part of the overall scenario to have a 
good active resource. You can have all the biologists telling you all the biology and what we need to do. We can set all the rules with the agency, but without the teeth of enforcement, we have nothing. We can buy all the land. You can, you know, put conservation easements on the whole entire country without game wardens. We can't. You cannot. You cannot make that work because it's part of the cycle. Make all the rules in the world you want. If you don't have anybody enforcing them, then they're just rules and they mean nothing. So we are an important part of conservation. Um, and uh, I'm pretty proud of being part of that conservation role. Um, I, I like my biologists. I love my biologist friends so much. Uh, they are very passionate people. They really believe what they're doing, um, which is awesome, as much as a game warden. And those people that can serve those lands, put those lands aside so that everybody can use them. The people that let us go on their property to hunt and fish, that uh, have respect for wildlife, that like seeing wildlife, um, just all great people. But it's part of a cycle that without law enforcement, it's just, uh, it falls apart. So, and I think we're starting to fall apart in this country. Uh, I don't think law enforcement, conservation law enforcement is taking a priority within our legislating bodies. I think that our numbers are falling. Uh, we're the police in the woods. When I go to a school, that's what I say. I'm, we're the police in the woods. It just to a five-year-old, he gets a police officer. Now he gets the police officer in the woods, and I help the animals. Um, whether, whether you know you zig or you zag on that, we help the animals, and uh, we're, we are a part of the woods uh, township, so to speak. So, and that just uh, it makes it easier for kids to understand. Um, but it, but it's so true. So. Um, thank you for your support and uh, the support of those International Wildlife Crime Stoppers and Operation Game Thief for your future support. So I hope you understand the importance that you play as far as people that enjoy the outdoors. Thank you. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.